Listen, Dad, are mobile suits more important to you than human beings? <sighs> it almost looks like this mobile suit is shaking in terror. It's a mobile suit! Amaro, is that you inside that mobile suit? Let's just see. Let's test the reaction time of your brand new mobile suit. You alone are responsible for the mobile suit now. Is that understood? These are the days when you wish your bed was already made. It's just another mobile suit. Monday. Wish it was Sunday. That's Matt. Tomorrow Ray. I don't have to run days. It's just another mobile suit. Monday. Amaro Ray Mobile suit In war, to keep the upper hand, you have to think two or three moves ahead of the enemy Hey guys, welcome back to another mobile-rific episode of Fanholes Mobile Suit Mondays. Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, but joining me tonight are three, count them, three of my fellow Gundam enthusiasts. Why don't you guys all give a shout-out and let everybody know who's here tonight. Hey, it's Mike, and I'll plug your hull breach with my spooge bubbles. That's what Frieza likes to call space bubble yum. Hey, this is Justin. Hey guys, this is Tony, and I am not mortally wounded at all. Ooh, uh, uh! <laughs> I like I like how in the in the dub in the the ocean dub the the most recent dub he asks if Ryu is okay, and I'm like, you look pretty fucked up, man. Like, you, are you sure you should be asking <laughs> if he's okay? Because you look pretty bad, man. So anyway, he got like shrapnel sticking out of his chest. Are you okay? <laughs> I, I guess that's supposed to you know illustrate his concern for his his fellow crewmen and stuff but i was kind of like maybe you should think a little bit about yourself too buddy you know that might be a yeah. good plan but we'll, we'll get we'll get to that yeah we'll get to what happened yeah, yeah. so in, in case you in case you haven't figured out we're gonna be discussing the second episode of the original mobile suit gundam anime tonight and that episode is titled destroy gundam and the original Japanese air date was April 14th, 1979. And of course, for us, you know, American Philistines who didn't experience it until 2001, the English dub air date was July 24th, 2001. So, and I, I mean, I guess we can just get into it. But basically, like, the, the opening is, again, kind of a repeat of that omniscient narration that we had in the last episode where they're, you know, they're setting up the status quo that it's, you know, 0079 is the year, you know, there's been eight months of war and they're at a stalemate and, you know, the Xeon is declaring independence and they're fighting against the Earth Federation. So I guess in case, you know, people had missed the first episode, you know, they're, they're basically giving all the audience members the down low in case they weren't in on the original episode of, of exactly what's going on. And then of course we've got the title card that comes up and says the episode title, which is Destroy Gundam. And then I mean, it, the, the episode pretty much picks up where we last left off, you know, like Side 7 is basically trying to defend itself from Shar's Musai cruiser and there are all these missiles coming towards it and everything like that. And then there's this like random gunner dude who basically is saying, look, 
You know, I don't care if we have to use civilians, you know, because they basically need all the help they can get. It seems like they were hit pretty hard by the initial attack and everything. That dude also had, had the most un un unconvincing, oh no, like right before he got hit by <laughs> missiles, too. He, 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 he was like, God damn it, it, one of them got past me. But yeah, he, he's supposed to be like shooting down all these missiles, and then one basically gets past one of the gunners and everything, and then basically the hull's breached. And then, of course, we get to what Michael alluded to in his introduction, where there's this sequence where these kind of bubblegum-esque pink bubbles come out, and they get released. And basically, like it's, it's like emergency covering for the hull, because I guess they basically, like, splatter across the hull breach you know they're they're drawn to it by the vacuum of space but then they basically harden as soon as they sort of splotch over the hull breach and everything and so they quickly harden and then of course you know no no one else is getting sucked out into the coldness of space all kinds of craziness is going on. There's there's mothers looking for lost children. And, of course, there are children that are being helped by Frau Bo. But you know what I noticed this time, like, that I didn't notice last time? Like, that mother that's looking for her child, like, they were right next to the hull breach. So, like, I, I'm uh, wondering, oh, my God, did that kid get sucked out before the, the breaches get... Before the breach yeah, got... Yeah, I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, like, wow, I didn't notice that the first time. And then, then that the one of the, the officers is, like, pulling her back, saying, oh, you have to get onto the ship and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I didn't notice that myself. I was wondering, Derek, by, by helping people on board, do you mean that Frau Bo was actually just chucking babies like footballs? Uh, yes. <laughs> no, I, I mean, you know... <laughs> I mean, I mean, she's healthy, but it is funny because it's, it's anti-gravity. So, I mean, they're all floating, but she's just grabbing kids and like, here you go. Here's the fast one. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, she, I mean, yeah, she's trying, basically there's, it, it's funny because, because I was like trying to count all the children and I don't know who that extra kid is. I mean, conceivably, I guess if you want, if you want the super dreary kill them all tomato ending, then I guess you could say that that kid got sucked out into the, the void of space, and it's really sad and horrible. But of the, the four children that are there, three of them will go on to become part of the main cast of characters in the crew of White Base. But there was a fourth kid there, and I was like, I wonder who that's supposed to be. And part of me thought maybe it'd be like part of like an irony that like she didn't realize that Frau Bo was already helping her kid onto the shuttle because they got separated. I mean, maybe that could be like the the positive, you know, glass half full version of, of that mother's story or whatever, you know? Yeah, the scenes were back to back. I mean, you know. Yeah, there is that there is that fourth kid. But basically, like, if, if people don't know, the, the three kids, their names are Kika, Let's, and Cats. And obviously, like, Cats goes on to, to great fame in other, other Gundam series. And then, you know, Kika's the girl, and Let's is kind of the, uh, let's say, goofy bucktooth kind of, cartoonish looking one like cats has great skill at bouncing off asteroids and exploding <laughs> spoilers <laughs> spoilers it's like it's like what is it like uh 20 year old spoilers but yeah basically if you don't know who cats is you'll forget about this and you won't be spoiled when you finally get to that point but if you do know who cats is have a good chuckle on michael's behalf and the name of the episode is cats dies <laughs> <laughs> Leave nothing to the imagination. Uh, all right. I survived right. Mobile Suit Gundam. So what? 
So then, basically, like, there's a bunch of shrapnel that explodes into the hangar bay as Frau Bo is helping all these kids and this old man onto white base. And it, it kind of looks like Frau Bo and the kids are done for. But then we see this huge hand of the RX-78 Gundam come into frame, and it's blocking all this shrapnel from hitting Frau Bo and potentially killing all these other civilians. And at this point, I think this is an important point for the episode, but Frau realizes she can tell when, you know, Amuro starts talking to her from the cockpit that it is Amuro piloting the mobile suit, and he's telling her basically, hurry up and get everybody on white base because the colony is losing oxygen. So it's like, you know, people are still there, and there may be stragglers and survivors, but if they don't get everybody on white base soon, it's like if they just happen to, like, I don't know, hide out in a dumpster or something and, and stayed away from the Xeon but didn't get onto white base, eventually anybody who's left behind, like that poor dog who's looking through, like, the trash for food, like, eventually that dog's gonna asphyxiate and not have any oxygen or whatever. So, speaking of horrible outcomes that are only inferred at, but you don't actually see on screen. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It, well, they, they don't, it's not like the dog comes to the loudspeaker when she's calling for survivors, so I, I can only imagine after that dog got his last garbage-ridden meal, <laughs> he was, he, he stayed there and asphyxiated. That was the fate of, see, of Side 7 Dog, so. See, me personally, I think he found like, uh, what was left of, uh, Jean's, uh, Zaku, and rebuilt it and flew out of the colonies. <laughs> Uh, it's possible me and Mike read an anime where monkeys were piloting Gundam, so I won't put everything anything, is possible. I, I won't put anything past the the trash digging dog. Like he, it's entirely possible that that really happened, or at least that they will make a side story manga about how that happened. So it's entirely gun dog. So shoo, we we are introduced to a new character by the name of Ryu. Apparently his last name is Jose, so I didn't realize that. But Ryu is one of White Base's remaining young cadets, and he basically arrives to take the place of Captain Cassius. And the, the reason why Cassius is actually manning one of those gun you know, stations is because there, there isn't anybody who's really qualified. I mean, all, most of their qualified personnel were killed in the attack. So, like, he's sort of protesting with Ryu, because he, you know, basically Ryu's kind of like, I'll take over, sir. And, and the captain's kind of like, have you ever even fired one of these things before? And he's kind of like, no, but I'm a quick learner. Like, I'll totally get into it and stuff. And once he's finally convinced and he gets out of the seat, then all of a sudden, you know, that gun station is attacked and all this shrapnel gets, you know, basically the captain gets, like, blown against the wall and you can see, like, he's basically, you know, Tony Stark. Like, he's got shrapnel up in his heart and lungs and all kinds. You know, basically, he's really messed up and everything. And he's gravely wounded and everything. And so at that point, Ryu, like, closes the gun station doors and, you know, tries to get him some medical help and everything. Are you okay, sir? I'm fine, but I need a hand getting down. <gasps> oh, no, Captain! <clears throat> Are you all right? <sighs> yes, sir! <sighs> Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, that was that was that scene where where it's weird like depending on which version of the dub you watch, like in in the it's funny cuz I I think the the LA dub, the movie dub tries to correct things that they perceive as mistakes because in that like Ryu basically asks the captain, "Are you okay, dude?" and the captain's like, "Uh, I think I'll be okay," you know, or whatever, right? <laughs> and it's like, yeah. you know, 
And, and, and in this, it's like the captain asks Ryu if he's okay. And, you know, we were, we were kind of joking about that earlier before, but I, I guess the main idea is it's supposed to inform the viewer that even gravely wounded, the captain's still concerned about his crew more than himself. I'll give him badass points. I mean, he's got metal stations out of his chest and he's like are you okay son you know <laughs> yeah basically like that's yeah that's that's the kind of vibe you're supposed to get from that that kind of situation and everything uh, i guess we cut back to the musai cruiser and slender finally returns to make his report to char and uh, what's funny is like here of course you know slender tells that you know he, basically like in this dub and the original japanese language Basically, Char tells Slender, hey, you did a good job, man. You followed the orders of me. and You know, you followed the orders of your commander, which is myself. But you also followed, you know, your, your commander out in the field and everything. And, and you did the best you could. And he basically commends Slender for his discipline. And he says that, you know, Slender is admirable. Whereas, because they sort of changed the dialogue in the movie dub, kind of insinuating that Slender was disobedient or something i i don't i don't know basically they were saying like he didn't follow my orders he's you know he he must be reprimanded like the movie dub continues with that train of thought and even though he's sitting there with a sling in his arm having done a good job like steve bloom sitting there going well we're gonna have to reprimand you but pretty much you did a good job like but we're still reprimanding you <laughs> and i'm just kind of like okay like you know another thing that they tried to quote-unquote fix that didn't really need fixing so you know it's like the, the movie dub is still insisting like like this dude fucked up and he's gonna be penalized for his fuck up and it's just like he didn't do anything wrong <laughs> he didn't disobey your words he's like dren give him the non-working zaku <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of nice though because like in usual kids shows i know japanese shows obviously differ greatly from western shows but, like, you know, if this had happened in, like, He-Man or, like, you know, Transformers, if Starscream flew in, Megatron would be like, you know, I see you made it back, coward. You let me down for the last time. But, like, Char's like, no, dude, you did fine, man. I'm cool with you, you know? I, I just think it's a basic misunderstanding of the situation, you know? Like, it, it's that thing where I know, you know, Mike was asking me to watch Reconquista and G just to get some some secondary ideas, you know, having seen it once himself and wanting like a fresh pair of eyes to look at it. But I, I think these are the type of shows that Tamino makes where you can watch the same thing a couple different times and get different interpretations out of it each time you watch it, you know, and, and, and that doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that that's the correct interpretation, you know, but to me, I think that the, the guys in, in, in LA that did that dub, like interpreted that scene completely wrong. But yeah. but they you know but they sort of moved ahead and kept kept that up you know consistently so that's the only sort of brownie points I can give them at least they were consistently wrong instead of like you know changing it in the middle of a dub or something like this is that. a bad idea but we're sticking with it <laughs> yeah yeah it's like you know so sir I realize you were trying to show initiative but you went too far and while I won't punish you this time I don't want to see that happen again I learned a lesson sir I promise and you know I... basically at this point like Shark kind of finds Slender's report on the new mobile suit to be kind of outrageous like like you know kind of the idea that the Federation has this mobile suit that could take out 
two Zakus and, you know, it's kind of like that's unheard of, you know, into the, in the war to this point and everything. And so he ends up having his, his second in command, Dren, open up this communications channel to his commanding officer, who is Vice Admiral Dozel Zabi. And we'll, we'll see some more of him on the comm channel later. And then we, we kind of cut back to the side and the hangar. It should be mentioned, if you ever get invited to a party by Dole Dazabi and you don't show up, he will be really pissed at you. Yeah, well, they, you know, and, and Char basically had better shit to do than go to a party, so he, he did the better shit. I know, but it was, just, it was just funny. He was like, we had a party for you. I had cocktail weenies and everything. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's there's lots of there, there's lots of politic going on. Why did you stand me up, Char? <laughs> you, you know what? You know what I thought was funny about it, though. Like, I I could be wrong because I didn't look up the actors, and even if I did, I don't know that that would give me any clue. But I feel like the movie dub version of Dozel Zabi is the guy we always make fun of in Gundam <laughs> Wing, like because it's right. <laughs> it, it sounded a little like that, where it's kind of like oh, know, it sounds yo. like Septum. Yeah, you didn't show up, Char. I had cocktail weenies. You know, Why did you lose so many marble suits? You know, like it, it sounded a little. I mean, it wasn't quite as bad as Septum, but but I felt like maybe it was the same voice actor. But I I don't know. That's probably not true because one was made in Los Angeles and the other was you know Canadian. But but they sounded sort of similar, like in tone or whatever. So I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> Ah, now I see why they call you Shah the Red Comet. My congratulations. So, anything else? So we, we end up cutting back to the hangar, and Frau Bo's there, and she's tending to all those children we said she was trying to escort onto the ship. And at this point, we are introduced to a young blonde woman in a pink jumpsuit and red boots. And this is a character called Sela Mass, or Moss. I, I always called her Sela Mass, but I guess because of the dub, they're like Moss, but... I'm like, okay, it doesn't have an O in it, but whatever. <laughs> and she recruits Frau Bo to help tend to the captain's wounds, because as we've established, he's all kind of Tony Stark kind of fucked up in a, in a you know, cave or whatever type thing. And, and then Frau Bo basically promises, and th this is kind of an important scene too, and it'll play off later on in the series, or pay off later on in the series, but Frau Bo promises the children as she's leaving, like, look, I will help you find your mothers, but I, I've got to go do this first. And so Ryu's there tending to the captain's wounds, and Frau Bo takes over, and she's she's pretty visibly shocked by how badly the captain's yeah. wounded. I mean, he's obviously, like, really, really messed up and everything. And then, of course, the, the captain is on the comm phone or whatever, and he's, he's calling back any remaining gunners to the base because he, he, they're, they're kind of convinced at this point that the attacks from the Musai cruiser have stopped, so they're trying to make preparations to get the hell out of there, like leave the hangar, leave the side as quickly as they can. And then, of course, Bright enters, and, and he's also kind of visibly taken back at how badly the captain's wounded, and then the captain tells Bright that virtually all the defense personnel have been wiped out. And then Bright basically doesn't have you know any good news. Basically, he just says that all the engineers and soldiers that were on side seven were also killed by the two Zakus from the last episode. So, you know, the, the, the only thing that's working to their advantage at this point is that the Gundam has a pilot, but Bright isn't exactly sure that it's 
Amuro yet. Like, he just kind of knows that they've got this pilot. And then Bright tells the captain that the pilot is transferring the gun cannon and the gun tank on board the white base. I thought it was kind of funny, like, when Bright first comes in, though, he's like, Captain, are you all right? And then he just kind of looks to, like, the right, and he's like... Oh, you're gonna die! <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, he's 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 not a dummy. Like he kind of figures it out once he sees stuff. He's just kind of on autopilot and everything. I I thought I'd ask you guys this question because I I kind of this is what I thought of when I saw the sequence. But it may be easy to forget. But Frau Bo is basically there tending to the captain's wounds this whole time during the exchange, and I I kind of wondered like she obviously made a conscious decision to keep quiet about Amuro being the pilot. Like, and I was just wondering if that struck anybody as odd. Did it seem normal, given what we eventually know about the character? Or, like, I was curious what your guys' take on that was, because clearly she knows it's Amuro. She just talked to Amuro in the suit. But then when they, you know, when basically Bright and the captain are there, sitting there kind of going, geez, you know, we've got this pilot, but we're not really sure who it is. Maybe it's one of these guys from Side 7. You know, and, and she doesn't... Like, you can see on her face... She there's a visible kind of recognition of oh I I know who it is but she doesn't really speak up so I was just kind of curious what you guys thought about that yeah I wondered about that because you would think she'd be like oh that's Amaro Ray and they'd be like oh Ray that's you know the guy who developed this that must be his son or something like you'd think that would be kind of an obvious thing but uh, I mean she's been she's been screaming yeah. his name the whole first fucking episode <laughs> and then this time she keeps her big yaps shut so I don't I, I don't know I don't I was just curious like what prompted that because you know all, all last episode it was like Amaro you know and this time it's like she's got a chance to like say his name legitimately and she sort of passed now it's all like Amar no <laughs> <laughs> oh. I just kind of figured that she, like, knew that it was eventually going to happen and Amuro might get in trouble. So she was like, I don't want to be the snitch. No, oh, let okay. them find out. Okay. You know? Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, I, I can see that. The, the reason I made that little joke earlier about the, oh, is Captain Paolo Cassius. Throughout this whole episode, every single time he has a line of dialogue, he always is it with they oh, oh, oh. <laughs> he, he always has to punctuate it with like a, a, a gasp of pain. A gasp of pain or some uh, a gasp of ectus, ecstasy. You decide. <laughs> I regret to report that. Is he happy or is he, is he, is he hurting? Uh, yeah, we're not we're we're not you know, we know what the intent is, but we're not always sure about the execution. I want you to close all hatches on white base now. Issue a gun to anyone. <laughs> so, I mean, basically, the the captain's plan, I guess, is is they they want to collect all the Gundam parts and leave Side Seven as soon as possible. And then Bright's there expressing concerns to him that he's kind of like, you know, the captain's kind of like, oh, just send out the white base on autopilot but bright's kind of like look we don't actually have somebody to to pilot the white base and at this point we are introduced to a young woman named mirai yashima and she basically is saying look i've you know i'm i'm not a military trained personnel but but i am commercially trained to you know i'm licensed to to pilot ships and everything like i can volunteer to do this basically i drove a school bus <laughs> Well, you know, like, I, I I guess it'd be the equivalent of you've got a B-42 bomber and, and somebody's like, oh, guess what? I, I flew, like, you know, jumbo jets, you know, so it's like I, I can 
I can try to fly this for you guys, basically. And then I guess the captain, you know, obviously recognizes her surname as it's like this famous family as of course you know you'd know as you continue watching the series or if you've listened to me and mike talk about other episodes of mobile suit mondays in the past you know the the yashima family has come up on some of those episodes so and that that seems to be like a you know we were joking about it before but it, it does seem to be a great source of reassurance to the captain where now his grunts are a little happier you know it's kind of like all oh, famous <laughs> yashima family <laughs> You know, and he's to be like, like maybe even though there's a lot of a lot of crappy shit going down here, you know, they're they're in the shit as as they say, but but some things are starting to look up. So so he seems to be a little relieved about that. And then of course now we're we're cutting back to everybody's favorite admiral, vice admiral who who plans cocktail parties for all his famous troops and everything but we, we cut back to the musai and and basically char is giving vice admiral dozel zabi a sit rep you know he's basically telling him look we we uncovered the new federation mobile suit and battleship we you know basically need to be re- resupplied and then he tells him that we actually need three replacement zakus and and i think this was the point where i noticed in the dub because it was like what you lost three zakus you know, like like that's what it sounded like in the the movie dub. So I started thinking of General Septum or whatever. But I, you know, obviously the other dub doesn't sound quite as you know. I mean, obviously he's shocked, but you know the way that they play it on the the television, you know, dub is is a little different and stuff. And and he's shocked that they lost the the suits. And you know, I I'm thinking at this point like that was probably unheard of. You know that that you know the Federation yeah. didn't normally take out you know, that many, you know, mobile suits. I mean, in fact, like, you know, Char's big claim to fame is his one mobile suit took out, you know, five cruisers. So it's probably the complete opposite of what they were expecting and everything. And so Dozel Zabi basically gives Char his new orders, which is to capture the new mobile suit. I, I think at this point, I mean, I don't know if it was firmly established, you and Mike and Justin would know better than I would, but I don't think the Earth Colony actually... You know, the Earth Federation forces really had mobile suits up to this point. It was just Zaku's beating their ass all the time, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would think that that's. I mean, they had the. I, I think the gun tanks were around. They had gun tanks and like balls, basically. I think. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> their balls weren't big enough. <laughs> well, you know, no, 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 in the Gundam universe, no one's balls are big enough. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, I, I guess that's why they were like, you know, shocked. It was like, you know, something took out a Zaku. Yeah, you know, it's like credit to Char when he like says like he needs two Zakus. He's like, yeah, two were destroyed. I need more. You know, he wasn't even like shaking. He was like, yeah, you're the admiral, but fucking Char, dude. <laughs> I was just gonna say Shiro Amada's balls were big enough because he went out in a ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For all those people who play as the ball in Battle Assault. <laughs> Your balls are big. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, Char at this point, like, I guess has big balls, too, to use a transition. Because he, he doesn't plan on waiting to be resupplied. He basically figures, you know, since Slender escaped, you know, there's probably a way for him to actually sneak back onto the side. And so they go back in these normal suits, which are, you know... Gundam talk for spacesuits, and that would be the most unexpected thing they could do at this point, and sort of give them the advantage of surprise. And like Char's Zaku being 
colored red. You know, his normal suit is also colored in the same, you know, red color and everything. He even has a helmet crest. He does. He does. I like <laughs> I like that suit. I, I think it's pretty yeah, cool. No, it's cool. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Then they cut back to the Bridge of the White base. And basically, like, it, it kind of seems like there was some discussion. Like, I don't know if, if Frau Bo sort of gave up Amaro in a cutscene or something, but, like, somehow at this point, Bright knows Amaro's name, at least, if not that he's a 15-year-old kid. You know, like, it's he, kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, Amaro. Like, that's that's what I've been hearing, sir. The scuttlebutt is somebody named Amaro is on that Gundam. And so they, they know he's named Amaro, but, like, both he and the captain are like, but we've never heard of that guy. Like, maybe he's one of the pilots from Side 7. You know, like, they, they don't really realize he's not a, a Federation soldier or pilot or anything like that. And basically the captain tells Bright, look, go ahead and contact him on that communications panel. And then, of course, Bright's like, look at this, you know? It's like a 15-year-old kid, and he's freaking out about it and everything. And I just thought, like, is this something we can talk about for a minute? Because I, I have my own thoughts on this, and, and I know it seems to be a trope in anime where they have, like, the young protagonist hero. And I always see, like, a lot of criticism about it. Or, like, I was thinking in terms of... I just watched that Captain America 75th anniversary special. And among, like, the many problems I have with Reginald Hudland, one of the things he said was, you know, they're talking about Bucky and how ridiculous it is that Cap had this teenage sidekick and he brings him along with him to World War II. And all I can think is... I, I, I kind of think for me, and I'll just ask what you guys all think of it once I sort of finish my thought, but I, I kind of feel like people that are shocked by a young boy soldier are either really, really, really naive or they're just fucking stupid. Like, I mean, I don't know. That's that's kind of my take on it. Like, I don't you really get... You can live in the army when you're 18, for Christ's sake. Well, I, I don't get why people get shocked by it. Because one, yeah, there, there's that what Tony brought up too, but I mean, there's a lot of historical examples of people that are younger than 18 having enlisted in the military yeah. and, and the fact that people turned a blind eye to it, you know? So I, I but I just, I'm curious what you guys think of that whole, you know, trope, the criticism of the trope, like that, that kind of stuff. I, I would say like, for me, the criticism is kind of unfounded because the, the whole point of it being a kid soldier is, A, it's supposed to be kind of horrible. Because, you know, at some point his innocence is going to be taken away, his or hers. You know, that's that's part of the story. You know, he's supposed to be, he or she's supposed to be horrified by what they're put into. And, you know, that's a growing up story. And second of all, it's an underdog story because, yes, the adults are supposed to be like, you know, this kid can't do anything. And it's supposed to be approving their worth story. So I think the criticism is kind of silly because, like, that's the kind of character you want. I mean, look at Luke Skywalker. He was, like, 16 or 17 when he took off with Tatooine, but nobody's like, Luke Skywalker was too young to be found next wing. And it's like, no, they're like, yay, Luke Skywalker. So I'm like, why are they mad at Armour? You're just like, <laughs> too old, too old. <laughs> You're almost 18, not my kind of thing. <laughs> you know, but, but yeah, just I, I, I really don't get that. It's like, and more often than not, as much of an old man curmudgeon as I am, I remember when I was a teenager. And when you're a teenager, you're actually more flexible in your thoughts and, like, you know, your ways of looking at things. So you could actually possibly be a better soldier. You might turn into a hard ass when you become an adult because you've seen a lot of shit. But, you know, born and bred as a soldier, you know, I, I, I go to 
iron-blooded orphans. I mean, I won't spoil anything, but a lot of those kids are really young in that, but they're really good fighters because that's how they were brought up is to fight. And they're not as rigid in their thinking, so they have, like, creative ways to fight. It sounds horrible, but it's war, so, I mean... There it is. You know? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody's saying that it's a good thing, but I, I just think it's, I, I don't know. It seems like sometimes the attitudes are that a young person being one involved in a war and like actually piloting a mobile suit is somehow unrealistic. And I'm just kind of like, you know, like all, all I can think of is other historical examples. Like, I mean, this doesn't apply to the age thing, but like for some reason, I always think of the Sullivan brothers. Like, are you familiar with the Sullivan brothers at all? I am. I'm not. Big basically it's like it's it's five brothers that were in the navy and you know the strict rule or the the rule at the time and continues to be the rule which is probably more heavily enforced now than it was back then is that brothers were not supposed to all enlist and be in the same unit but in this particular you know unit you know in the navy on the ship there were five brothers and it was the youngest to the oldest so it's like i think the youngest brother was like 20 or something like that and the oldest brother was like 27 or 28 or something like that but basically they all died in the same battle and you know that's kind of like when these these things happen you know different rules and stuff come up out of that you know basically like the whole idea of you know there there should be a sole survivor you know an heir it's like basically they, you know, killed the entire bloodline in one battle because they were all stationed together. And like the the idea is, to me at least, that that was something that was sort of that people turned a blind eye to it. It was kind of like, yeah, brothers aren't supposed to be in the same unit, but ah, what the heck? You know, like we're just going to ignore it. And then, you know, you think about like, you know, if you just look up like you know, boy soldiers on Google or something like that. You'll get like all kinds of hits for like, you know, the youngest soldier who ever served in World War One was like 12 years old. And, you know, like basically to me, it's like I'm not saying it's right, but I'm just saying there's plenty of historical examples that you can tell that this series draws from. So it's not only, you know, comparisons to say, you know, the American Revolution or the, you know, the American Civil War. I mean, you can also draw Joan of Arc. You know, you can also draw parallels to World War One and World War Two and all kinds of stuff. So that's that's kind of what came to my mind when I was thinking about this kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I just wanted to bring it up because it seems like a common complaint, you know, when when people start getting into I guess, you know, maybe like mobile suit anime and Gundam in general. Like I always kind of hear that like, oh, geez, another little kid is piloting a mobile suit. Like, you know, I guess because it's like this tired old hat thing to them or I don't know, maybe they're desensitized um, to it or something. I, I don't know. I, I agree with you about the historical significance and references. But like as far as like the trope of the young pilot goes, when I first started watching Gundam, like I was in high school and I, what appealed to me was that, you know, I was like, oh, like these pilots on Gundam Wing, like they're my age and they're like they're doing all this crazy stuff you know crap they're like fighting other mobile suits and blowing shit up like this is appealing but now that i'm in my 30s i'm kind of like you know i would just like an antagonist reasonably close to my age now well you know whether it's neon genesis evangelion or captain earth or whatever it seems like every series has that young pilot and that's you know Sometimes you just want someone your own age to like to identify with now that you're like kind of old and grumpy. Would you say that like the the Thunderbolt thing that you and I and Mike just watched has a more 
a, a character, a protagonist that's more in your wheelhouse now, you know, where you're yeah. like, oh, I can relate to that guy because he seems like he's sort of an adult. He, he's got his nudie mag and his jazz <laughs> and, you know, he, he seems to not be a kid, basically yeah. learning the horrors of war. It's like he's he's lived through the shit and is just continuing to to do his job and stuff like that. Yeah. What well, what about you Mike? Have you, uh, you want to weigh in on this at all? Like this kind of notion of the trope versus the historical significance and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I I've, I've never had a problem with it. Like I I've never thought it was like like I I always thought it was a good storytelling like tool that like they're young and inexperienced, so you know, this can be a coming of age story, you know, they can be naive, you know, it opens up more story possibilities. Yeah, like, I also agree with you that I, I don't think it's like, it's something that's unheard of in real life. And like, I don't know, maybe people don't want to believe it. But, mm, you know, yeah. it, it can happen. And I mean, I've never had a huge problem with it. I mean, so I, sometimes I do like, you know, like you guys said, I, I do kind of wish like, oh, maybe, you know, I do enjoy some, some, like characters who like or protagonists who are older and you know have some experience behind them and stuff like that but you know i guess the usual trope in in japan at least is to make that character like the mentor figure yeah. to the like the teenager or whatever but yeah you're, you're usually drawn to like that big brother archetype yeah like i, I like up. those characters usually like yeah but it is cool to see them as a protagonist, though, every so often, like in Thunderbolt, basically. Yeah. You know, my biggest problem is, though, Derek, we should really address the big elephant in the room. Why is there always a bad guy or a guy on the bad guy side who's in his like late 40s, early 50s, who's an excellent pilot, is a grizzled war horse, and he like, you know... He, he, he finds a new way of thinking by fighting this, like, young protagonist, and then he dies. What the fuck's up with that, man? <laughs> it's like, I see the error of my ways because of this young protagonist. I could be a cool guy. Nope, I'm going to die in the next episode. <laughs> you know, that's the pangs of being a Decepticon ninja consultant, I guess. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I did want to bring up one thing. I was going to take a high note, though, as far as the Amaro Ray, Noah Bright thing. Instead of looking at it as, like, a slightly older person. Because, like, no, like, that's the funny thing, though, like... Bright is only probably in his early 20s. He's not that friggin' old, late 20s at the most. No, technically, I think Bright's supposed to be 19. I mean, he's an ensign. Oh, there you go, yeah. You know, like, like yeah, they're, so yeah, he's not basically most that. most of the people on that ship are are at least younger than him, you know, except for, I'd say, like, you know, the actual captain, you know, but I think everybody else, like, I, I'm guessing, like, Ryu is probably 18 and bright as 19 and then you know the rest of them are all you know teens and, and younger you know civilians and stuff like that so i mean it, it's one of those things where you know yeah noah bright does go on to evolve as a character and in this episode he he starts to take command and issue orders and all that kind of stuff so it's it's really easy to forget how young he is too do you know what i mean like i mean you know that yeah. that's kind of an interesting notion as well that you don't i mean you know if you if it escapes your notice you know like you, 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 there's a lot of pressure and burden on him as well and and he's not really for for all intents and purposes he's only like four years older than amuro you know what i mean so I, i've seen gundam so i know it doesn't happen but just by this one episode i was kind of hoping in my own little, I guess, fan fiction universe, they would develop a relationship where, like, you know, Amaro's like, all right, Noah, 
I just took out the Zaku. I destroyed like four buildings, but I got him. He's like, no, you know, like, like Amaro, I'll have your badge for this. You lose cannon. I'm, you know, the angry police chief. <laughs> the angry police chief in Gundam. Yeah. We, we need one of those. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but God damn it. If you don't get results, man. Yeah. You're the yeah, worst. God you're the worst it, mobile suit pilot I've ever seen, but God damn it. Yeah. You get results. <laughs> It's a kid. There's some kid in the cockpit of the Gundam, sir. Captain, this so-called pilot on board Gundam is just a kid! So since basically the Captain and Bright don't really have another pilot, I mean, they're pretty much forced to have Amuro cover the white base so that they can all escape from side 7. But before that happens, Frau Bo and Sela head topside to give the colony one last look over for any remaining survivors. And Ryu is already topside, and he's helping a wounded engineer back to the white base. And then we're introduced to another member of our cast, a fellow named Kai Shiden, who quickly scurries onto the elevator in the background. And there's this there's this interaction between himself and Sela, and he he kind of seems like a guy who values his own self-interest above others and you know was basically hiding out and and just looking for a chance to to get to safety. And you know, Sela kind of takes offense to that. She smacks him in the face and says, you know, you were being cowardly hiding when you could have been helping people. And then it's like her and Frau Bo drive off in separate directions to basically go look for survivors and of course that's where Frau Bo sees the trash dog who we assume either builds his own Gundam and launches into space <laughs> or asphyxiates because there's no oxygen in the colony. If you're speaking about anime trips as far as a young person nine times out of ten if you watch an anime and there's a skinny faced guy with kind of sad eyes he's going to be weaselly and skeevy. He, You know it's interesting because I mean he, he, does, he, he does come off for a long time in the show, like as that sort of one-dimensional, weaselly and schemey character, but you know, not, not not too many spoilers. But I mean, all I'll say is that yeah, yeah. you know he he doesn't stay that way throughout the course of the series. So kind of like I okay. guess you know like someone being fascinated with the the evolution and journey of say Bulk and Skull. You know, th this character has a, a similar grandiose arc. I think where he 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 is a transformative you know, caterpillar to butterfly type character, I guess. Yeah, it's just when you first see him, it's like when he talks that way and when he says what he says, like just the first, you know, impression, you're like, yeah, I'm not surprised by the way you were designed, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, no, he's no, kind of no, no. like the rat trap of the, the group. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a survivor. He's, I mean, he does have that bent of, of being a realist about things, you know, and it's not always... It's not always for the best, you know, there's not always a lot of optimism in his point of view. Yeah, but but hey, you know what? Sailor's Doom Buggy, speaking of positive things, that's, that's a pretty badass ride. <laughs> yeah, Char and, and his unit end up making their move on side seven, and then, you know, just so we, we get to back to, to Sailor eventually, because we will once Char gets onto side seven, but the, the Musai basically shoots this opening for Char's team, and then, you know, Char makes the comment that, you know, Ensign Dren did a good job. And I, I kind of remember thinking it's weird because Dren is technically an Ensign and I think he gets promoted later. But I did find it weird, like this guy who is, you know, for all intents and purposes, he's Char's second in command. So, like, I, I have this weird image of, like, Captain Picard and then Wesley is, like, his number one or something. And I, <laughs> I kind of was thinking this guy was his Riker, you know, and, and, and instead he's actually an Ensign. So I, I thought that was kind of... 
you know, not, not nothing's wrong with it, but I just remember that sort of stood out to me and everything like that. Now, now I had this image of like Wesley standing on the bridge and Picard's all look cute and stuff, and he's like, you know, all right, sir, the the main deflector dish is charged. Fire! <laughs> like Wesley's gonna kill Picard. No. Since the attack has has been resumed by the Musai cruiser, you know, the captain of White Base is basically changing his plans. He's ordering that. All the remaining Gundam parts be destroyed so they don't fall into the enemy hands. And they end up issuing a beam rifle to the Gundam. And, you know, of course, like we were discussing before, the captain himself remarks it's not the first time a 15-year-old boy has been a soldier in a war. And then Amuro ends up suggesting using the super napalm. And the captain basically agrees with his decision. <laughs> no Bright, no Bright's like, I would have used a regular napalm, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Frau Bo is we're, we're we're back to where she's canvassing side seven with the loudspeaker, and she's she's kind of crying because she's she's remembering basically their former life, which was probably to them only you know what like a couple hours ago or something. But it's kind of sad that because she's basically you know they their homes are destroyed and basically they're you know just looking for survivors and everything. And so now we finally caught back up to Sela and her bitchin' dune buggy. And she notices there's a Xeon soldier when she's scouting for survivors. And she pulls a gun out of the bitchin' dune buggy's glove compartment. And then we go to the eye catch that says, SHOW! And then the eye catch comes back and says, SHOW! <laughs> and then Sela basically at this point gets the drop on Char, who basically appears to be trying to get intel on all these damaged Gundam parts that have been strung about side seven. Like it's kind of like he's taking like photos or stuff with like a headpiece and some other parts and everything. And at this point, you know, Sailor has him at gunpoint and she orders him to remove his helmet. And Char seems to have a moment of recognition when he sees Sela. And then when his helmet comes off and he removes his mask, then Sela has this moment of recognition, which is long enough to sort of distract her and Char ends up kicking the pistol out of her grip. And then Char comments that she couldn't be. She's much too strong to be Artesia. And that's that's kind of how they leave it. And, and I think this is probably a strict translation of the original Japanese. I, I think it's funny because in the in the movie dub they kind of really spell it out like where it's like that's my little sister Artasia you know and it's like at the end of it when he's like flying off she's like wait big brother wait you know and it's like it's like really really spelled out whereas this is a little more subtle. Why does it seem like we've met before? Take off that stupid mask and show me your face. She can't be. She's much, much too strong to be Artesia. My little Artesia? It can't be. It just can't be. A Xeon? What is going on? Big Brother! <gasps> it, well, I mean, it, it does set up that Sela, even though, like, as far as we know, in this episode, like, she's very much a citizen, you know, she's a, a civilian. I shouldn't say citizen, civilian. But, I mean, the bitch got a gun in her car, so, I mean... She she's not helpless, you know, she's not like, you know, someone who apparently is just, you know, living on side seven. She's, you know, at least streetwise enough to have a gun when she's going out looking for survivors and stuff. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, it's not it's not like 
Frau Bo just running around going, Amaro, and like crying and shit. It's like she's she sees that somebody could be a threat to her and she's gonna protect herself. I mean the only the only bad move she makes is, you know, hesitating when he kicks the gun out of her hand, but you know, other other than that, I mean, you know, they're they're setting up all this sort of drama and angst and secret histories. I, I didn't get what he said about like she 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 like when he says like she couldn't be that strong. I was like, was it like just really hard to kick the gun out of her hand? How do you know she's strong? I think because they have a past relationship. I mean, you know, he oh, okay. he, he he's only familiar with, you know, a, a little sister. I mean, without getting into too much spoilers, you know, probably it'd be it'd be the same instance if you had somebody, a sibling that you were really close to. And then they went away for, you know, five or six years to college. And you just thought that they you know, had a transformative kind of phase and, and they were a lot more in charge and confident than they used to be, you know, as opposed to being, you know, kind of a, a big brother type who would always have to sort of take care of that. I, I think I just took it too literally. Like, it was, like, hard for him to defeat her. And I'm like, it didn't look like it, but I, you're, yeah, you're, you're right. It's probably, like, his, his her character, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're doing the anime movie dub interpretation where you're taking it literally like like it's like wow her grip was really strong whereas he's <laughs> yeah. it's actually talking about the content of her character you know in in terms of the fact that she's you know she's brave enough to go looking for survivors she's brave enough to to confront a enemy soldier and 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 get the drop on them and and those kind of traits so yeah that's that's how i took it anyway at that point you know amuro arrives in the gundam and then char of course is retreating in his little mini jet pack and everything and at this point sela climbs up into the gundam's palm and then amuro uses the super napalm on all the remaining gundam parts to destroy them and everything I, I thought, I, I don't know why, like, I don't know if this is, like, some kind of weird Freudian thing for me or whatever, but, like, Sela, like, jumping up into Amuro's, you know, Gundam hand and everything and lying down, like, I was like... <laughs> He's like, lay down. <laughs> I, I, I was, like, sitting there going, this this may be a good opportunity to discuss the, the Amuro-Sela romance that doesn't really happen in this anime at all. Can I just make one comment about the yes. Super Napalm? Yes, yes. Like, in, in, in this, like, he just kind of shoots it out of his beam rifle, but... It seems like they kind of retcon that, like in most later adaptations in the models, that they add this like sort of sort of like underslung like grenade launcher thing to the beam rifle that shoots oh, like a okay. you know a canister of like napalm or whatever. Okay. I guess you know the budget wouldn't allow it for you know the animation. Yeah, that makes more sense. I see. Yeah. No, that's cool. That is cool. It's just for me, you know, because I will do this every episode that it happens. Gun tank and gun cannon. No. Yeah, that's that's mostly what it looked like. The strung out parts were belonging to. Yeah, it didn't look like a Gundam at all. Just like the mass produced model. So. <laughs> but I mean, I, I guess all, all I was gonna say is just to give myself an opportunity to to mention it was that, you know, I I think of like I, I have that set of Gundam postcards with all the different art in it and everything. And there's like this one like postcard of like the Gundam in the hangar. And Amuro's in his normal suit and his helmet's off and he's like sort of like making out with Sela in the corner and like nobody can kind of see them off to the side. And then, you know, I, I'm pretty sure, Mike, you've read the the novelizations and everything that Tamino wrote. Yes. So, I mean, there there is reference to that 
kind of relationship that they end up having in those novels. <laughs> There's explicit reference to yeah, it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, like, that's why I was kind of like, I, I know, I know it's considered, you know, semi-canon, you know, but it's just like, I know on the show itself, there's not any kind of, you know, bumping and grinding going on. So I thought it might be a fun, fun way I'm sorry. To, to talk about I just, I just picture like Amaro, Amaro with like Salem, like his quarters and stuff. And like, you know, they're getting all sexy and stuff. And he just looks in her eyes and he's like, should I use the super napalm? <laughs> Super nice. No, he has to bu- he has to bust out his Gundam javelin. <laughs> <laughs> then when right when he's about to get done, he's like Gundam hammer. So basically, I guess that's the end of the romance portion of this. This part. <laughs> Killed that dead. Gundam hammer. All right, now Amuro and Sela are are headed back aboard, headed toward White Base. They're they're heading back into the hangar, and as they open up. The, the hangar bay to let them in that's when Char takes the opportunity to sneak aboard and at this point like you know the captain's like okay all hands on deck like everybody needs to take a rifle and shoot down this guy he's like give the children guns for god's sake <laughs> here old man have a rifle <laughs> it's like Kika, Let's and Cats all have guns and they're all shooting at Char I, I, I was like well maybe between the three of them they could hold one rifle like I don't know about giving them all rifles but yeah, there, there's all these, you know, Hayato's got a rifle, like all these different guys, uh, you know, take guns and, and are basically shooting at Char from all angles and everything. And and for me, this kind of seems to be another example of where Char got his big time rep from. Like, you're always kind of like, oh, how did Wolverine become Wolverine? It's like he went into the sewer and kicked some Hellfire Club ass and everything. And he, he tussled the Sabretooth and, you know, all these, like, you know, things that you know the the early things that contributed to someone's fan aura and i I think in this you know this is one of those scenes where he's just he's almost casual like he's almost i mean he's he's so calm and there's people trying to shoot at him from every conceivable (laughs) angle and he's just kind of floating around being like all right i'm taking photos i'm dodging this bullet and dodging that bullet but i'm cool because he's basically like like my plan totally worked you know i have I have done like the bat god plan and I am now in the the belly of the beast and now my my scout team can retreat and head home because I've now accomplished what you know what I set out to do which was you know gather all this intel and you know it, basically he's got like this pair of binoculars in his hands but it's clearly I don't know in, in in some of the dubs they call it a camera I mean it must be some kind of recording device because he's basically you know snapping shots with it and 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 yeah, collecting like a camcorder or something. Yeah, like that, co- yeah collecting intelligence and everything but I also think and and this is I, I I'm kind of curious what you guys think of this because I I kind of think of Ensign Bright as you know kind of a, a prowl cyclops type character like so i, I was wondering yeah. if, if mike and and tony kind of are drawn to him at all because of that because this is this is the first instance where you notice like it's like sure has tons of fan aura but you know bright gets to have his moment of glory too because he's the one who comes up out of the you know shadows with a, a rifle and basically you know gets his moment of awesome sauce because his his rifle shots don't actually take out Char but they do destroy his recording device so he, he in in a, in essence he's he's foiled the the super cool bad guy who who was about to sort of get away with ill-gotten goods and everything so I was kind of like yeah this is like the first 
you know, instance of, of Wright getting a little of his own kind of fan aura in his own way and everything. Yeah, like even even Shar kind of looks like, oh no, this enemy is high leveled. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah, like Noah Bright is is that kind of character. He's very by the book. He was raised as military and stuff, but he's not just a clone. He's not just someone who's like, yes sir, no sir, yes sir, no sir. He actually can come up with ingenious ideas, and he does things on his feet. So, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I was picking on him for picking on Amaro, but obviously, as you said, Derek, that relationship changes as the series goes on. And, yeah, I, I really like Noah Bryant. I think, you know, first of all, he has a really cool name. I mean, you know, his name basically means he's smart, you know. Like, are you bright? Yes, I am. <laughs> you know, it's just... And, and not only that, but, yeah, as Mike said, that little shot, you know... All these other people can't even hit him. And yeah, he hit his binoculars. But, you know, let's, let's go into fan aura. I think that's what he was aiming for. He was like, the intel is more important than taking down his enemy. I got to make sure nobody knows about Operation V. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. It was, it was a good it was a good fanway moment. It was like, you go, boy. And then, you know, not, not to be outdone, you know, Char, of course, does his patented escape of flying towards a wall at full speed, throwing a grenade, flying through the hole throwing another grenade and flying through the vacuum of space. <laughs> so there's there's that. So he can, he, you know, basically not not to be outdone. You know, I mean, he, he might have gotten a little cocky, but he does manage to escape. What, what if there was a third wall? Did he have three grenades? <laughs> I mean, uh, splat. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I imagine I imagine he had that totally planned as his escape route. So he knew there were two walls in front of it. That's what those... That's what those two grenades were for, you know? So. I, well, I, I think that whole sequence was really nice because it showed that the white base people, like the white base crew, even if they are, some of them are civilians, they're competent, but Char is just beyond competent. He's, like, excellent. So I think it was even, you know? It was like, they didn't look like pussies. They didn't look like, you know, they didn't know what they were doing. Char's just that good, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he's supposed to be, he, he obviously has a rep. He, he's supposed to be this ace pilot. He's supposed to be this daring do type guy who gets into these dangerous situations and manages to come out unscathed. And and you're, you're seeing that in real time here. It's not just a matter of they talked him up and then when you saw him, he was like fucking General Grievous or Boba Fett and fell into a fucking Sarlacc pit. It's like they talked him up you know, said, look, this guy's the Red Comet. He's a big shit deal. He's like, you know, destroyed like five fucking cruisers and stuff. And then when he finally shows up, he's just kind of like, yo, okay, whatever. I'll be over here in the corner with Jabba's Dancing Girls or whatever. You know, like, it's like he actually like does stuff and it's usually super cool. I mean, obviously, yeah, you know, his his data was destroyed and and, and part of his plan was foiled, but he, he had to be pretty slick to get as far as he did you know, with what he, what he accomplished and everything. The enemy's right behind me. Sir! So Amaro is following after them in Gundam. And then, you know, this is kind of an interesting sequence because for me, it's hard to tell. I mean, you know, partly it seems like he's getting tired and, and kind of, you know, the, the, the fatigue <laughs> of war is already setting in or, or that maybe he's, he's a little more hesitant to try to, you know, snipe, people instead of mobile suits because it's a little more real for him but you know the, the the kind of information they exposit to you is basically that you know it's it's very hard to target you know for a mobile suit to target human beings in space and so he's he's shooting all these beams you know 
out at them, but he's he's missing them. And and even Char says, you know, it's it's better just not to move. And you know, obviously, like it's it's difficult for him to lock on to human beings and everything. And then the Musai ends up sending out Slender Zaku and Char Zaku. And then in the background, Mirai is gonna pilot White Base so it can launch out from the hangar. And at this point, you know, kind of as we discussed before, you know, Bright, even though the captain is still there, is starting to be kind of like a first officer, an assistant captain of sorts, because he's he's out there giving orders. And 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 again, I I know you know Tony might want to make fun of this or whatever, but you know th- there is the <laughs> line where he, he talks to the the operator guys and he basically says, operators, you know, like make sure you look out for all these rookies we've got you know like you know the the you know basically our helmsman is a rookie and you know all these people that are you know these civilians that are working at certain stations are rookies so you know do your best to look out for them and they're kind of like well you know we'll we'll try our best and everything and and these guys obviously are some of the remaining crew of the white base who were enlisted men yeah. who were not killed and they actually have names so just just so you guys know the 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 want the, the operator without glasses that kind of has uh, dark brown hair his name is marker clan and then the guy with glasses kind of has you know kind of lighter hair his name is Oscar Dublin so just just oh, okay. in case you know basically I don't think a lot of those you know obviously those guys aren't very well developed as the series continues but they're they're kind of consistent it's kind of like I, I imagine if Cole Meany never went on to be on Deep Space yeah. Nine it's kind of like they're they're the O'Brien of of the white base who who never goes on to their own separate sub-series or the, whatever the, the yeoman rand of uh, they're, yeah they're, they're 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 essential they're important they're they're always in the background but they're not quite the focus of any given episode. I, I did have a theory about Amaro, though, when he's, like, trying to target Char when he's escaping. If you notice, his crosshairs are on Char while he's retreating, and lines him up just as he's flying away. I think there's a part of Amaro that was like, my god, that ass is magnificent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's clearly, that's clearly what he was thinking. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But... But yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and one thing that is kind of funny about the bridge girl, it's not funny, it's actually kind of sweet. They have all these civilians, besides the guys you're talking about, operating various consoles and stuff, and they actually have injured, like, crewmates, the ones who actually survive, but they're just not able to man their posts, kind of giving them, like, you know, guide to, like, you know, do their stuff, and, like, you know, one of them, you know, he's even like, man, you're really quick at this, you know? I, I thought that was kind of sweet. It was like, you know, I don't know. It was just, it was just a nice moment where, like, even though these guys are military and, you know, they want to do their job, they're, they're still there, even though they're hurt, helping out these kids to, like, man their posts. Yeah, they're, they're basically all the wounded personnel are kind of shadowing, like, Sela and Hayato. And, of course, Kai's there in the back not doing anything with his arms crossed because at this point <laughs> he's kind of a douchebag. But, but it yeah. seems like a lot of the other civilian you know basically crew members are, are trying to pull their own weight and and like you're saying it's it's kind of a cool scene because they can't you know i guess physically they're too injured to man their posts but i guess they're okay enough to lie there slumped over with a sling and their their head in bandages and like tell them what to do you know basically yeah 
Now take a look on the right and find the engine thrust gauge, then check it. Yes, I see it. But keep it out of the red zone. Missile stores are shown on the indicator to I the... know. This one here, right? Hey, you catch on quickly. So at this point, White Base leaves the docking bay, and then Ryu ha is on standby in the core fighter to help cover the White Base escape, along with Amuro and the Gundam. And then there are these missiles that are fired at White Base, and, you know, basically they're like, starboard to port, you know, turn this degree to this degree and Mirai can't make those calculations and, and, and move the ship in time so basically Amuro you know narrowly shoots down both of the missiles it's like it, it seems like you know depending on how you interpret it, it it's it's interesting to me because I think you know in the in the Japanese it, it, you know it's very you know okay I'll get this first one and then he gets really really concerned like he almost you know, he misses the second missile the first time he shoots it, and then it just almost gets to white base. So it seems like he's really cutting it close. But then it's kind of funny, like in the in the Los Angeles dub, it's almost like I, I forget what the exact dialogue is, but it seems like you know, shoot those missiles down, and he's kind of like, yeah, yeah. And then and then the second one, he's like, come on, hurry up and shoot. You know, like it's almost like he's playing a video game and he doesn't care about the the people on the ship. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of took it as like, you know, the first one was kind of like, you know, that like Star Wars moment where Luke kills a TIE fighter and it's like, you know, great job, kid. Don't get cocky. And Amuro got kind of cocky. You know, it was like, yeah, I got this second missile. You know, it was like, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seemed like he, he thought he was going to take both of them out. Lickety split. And then the second one he actually missed. And then he, it's like the cockiness sort of, you know, left him or whatever. Yeah, but he's still like, and, and again, I like since you mentioned this in the first episode, it keeps coming up in my head. He keeps using that X-wing thing that like zooms up from behind with like the the targeting. Yeah, the targeting computer. Yeah, I just I don't know. I thought that was kind of cool. It's like it's like Amaro, it, you it, switched it, off your targeting computer. Yeah, okay. Wrong? I'm, I'm all right. right. <laughs> Nothing. I'm all right. Piece of pie. <clears throat> oh come on. Hit it! There are two more objects approaching the ship, Mr. Bright. What are they? My guess is they're mobile suits. Zakus? Yes, but there are no Zakus I know of that are capable of moving this quickly. You know, at this point, the captain is realizing that the, the two mobile suits that are headed towards the white base... The, the one that's, you know, on their radar, one of the operator guys, I think it is Oscar, is basically saying, like, this is, you know, this is much faster than, than any Zaku we've seen before. And so the captain notes, oh, this must be the Red Comet. This is Char. And y you know what's funny is, like, this is one instance where I, I don't know if, I, I think the movie dub is trying to, quote unquote, correct what they perceive as an error. But, like, it, it's interesting, the exchange, because... They have a, a, a an exchange between Bright and the captain, and, you know, the captain's kind of like, it's Char, it's the Red Comet, and it sounds like he's talking loud enough that, like, everybody could hear him, but then Bright has this moment where he's like, I'm sorry, Captain, I didn't quite hear you, and then it's, like, silent, and then the entire screen, like, turns red. And it's basically like, oh my god, it's the red comet. That's did he die? Yeah. That that's what that's what I just got told. And and he he you know basically figures it out, you know, or 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 at least you know I don't know if if 
I, I think the insinuation is he eventually heard it in a whisper that you weren't supposed to hear. But what's funny is, like, in the movie dub, it's like that scene where there's dead silence. Like, you can hear the voice actor go, because, you know, Bright's like, what's wrong, sir? Like, what did you say? I didn't quite hear you. You know, because it's, it's British Bright in the L.A. dub. And then, and then there's this, like, small kind of like, it's sharp. You know, and then he's like, he's like, oh, it's Char. Like, now I've heard you, you know, like, and, and it, I don't know. It was Line. Kind of yeah, yeah, it was kind of funny. Shaw, the Red Comet. I was afraid he was going to find us eventually. I couldn't hear everything you said. Shaw, the Red Comet. Shaw! He's the most feared Zeon of them all. It, it, it's Char. It must be the Red Comet. What? What was that, Captain? What? He said it's Char, the Red Comet. You know, and, and, and this is the point where basically they, they go into the dialogue saying how he, you know, basically destroyed five battleships at the Battle of Loom. And, you know, to, to plug our own show, if you go back to Mobile Suit Mondays, episode 22, you will hear Mike and myself discussing the Battle of Loom in Gundam The Origin Part 1, which is titled The Blue-Eyed Castfall. So if, if you're curious about the, some of the details of that, some of that is covered in that episode of Mobile Suit Monday. But here they're just kind of referencing to his, his deeds as he's closing in on the white base. And then at this point, I mean, it's basically Char in his Zaku versus Amuro in the Gundam. So I, I, I'd like to open it up to you guys. Like, what, what did you guys think of the first fight, you know, this fight that sets up one of the greatest rivalries in all of anime. You know what I didn't really notice until I watched it, the episode this run through, was like, at the end of this battle, like, Char is visibly shaken. Like, he's, he's his hand is shaking. Like, he's, you know, for all his accolades, you know, he, he was at the battle of, you know, whatever you guys, I forget the name you guys just mentioned, but, you know, he was at that battle. He took out, like, five, you know, ships on his own. He's notorious as the Red Comic. Like, for all his accolades and everything he's been through, like, he's visibly shaking after taking on the Gundam because he's like, why won't it, you know, why won't it, you know, why won't it fall? Like, he, he, you know, he's... Why won't uh, you die? <laughs> you know, he's attacking it, you know, and then he sees, like, one of his comrades get destroyed in one shot. You know, you, you can tell that, like, he's, he's never went up against anything like this before and it's shaking him and, like... I never really noticed that before. And like, I think that's, you know, it kind of opened them a new facet for Shard. Like, I, I, you know, because I sat down, I was like shaking. And then I kind of was like thinking about it. I was like, well, that's really interesting. Like, I never really paid attention to that or it never registered to me before. Yeah, because he is, he is a very, very cool cucumber in, in that scene where he's, you know, basically all the way up to this point, he's been a pretty cool customer. And I, I think, like, my interpretation of that is... If Amuro's beam cannon hadn't run out of energy, Char would have been dead. Yeah. Like, that's kind of my take on it. Like, he he's only still alive because Amuro, you know, went ape shit on the beam cannon. And, you know, Bright was even telling him, hey, make sure you don't run out of juice. But, you know, obviously, like, you know, he's kind of like, I, I won't do it. But, I mean, obviously, there's lots of crazy shit going on. So, I mean, I'm not I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but I'm just saying, you know, it's by yeah, the grace of good, yeah. it's by the grace of God that that, you know, Amuro, you know, used up all the beam cannon energy. Otherwise, he probably would have been dead. 
No, I, I also was thinking that, uh, like, Ryu would have been dead, too, because it, it seemed like Char could have easily handled a single, like, core fighter or something, but, like, he was so, like, you know, put off by the Gundam that Ryu managed to do some, like, sneak attacks and stuff. Mm. I, I actually kind of took it like... Char is used to having the best equipment, the best stuff, and he doesn't really know Amuro yet. And, he, and like, there is, like, probably a small bit of him that's like, oh, this pilot might be pretty good. But it seems like during the conflict, especially when the Gundam does that kind of down swoop when Char's going over him and he's taking pot shots at him, he's like, holy shit, the Xeon don't have the advantage anymore. Like, this Gundam is badass. And, like, Char does that a lot in a lot of series. He's like, you know, why do they keep making these awesome, like, fucking mobile suits? Like, I don't have the best equipment. And I think that also shakes him too. He doesn't. He like you know. He loses faith in his. I hate to say it, it sounds like a Nintendo thing. It was like blame the controller. But he's also like mad at his suit for not being as good as the Gundam too. You know. He's like, no. Why is it so fast? You know. And like I'm the fastest. You know. I'm the best. You know. My mobile suit's always the best. And I think that also kind of shook him too. It's like he's not only possibly finding a better pilot, but he's also finding obviously a mobile suit that's much more advanced than his. And I think that like also shook him up. He's like he's not used to finding a stronger opponent. Because he even says that, you know, he's like, Slender. But when Amuro takes out Slender, when he's like, you know, about to die, I just, I don't know why, but when it popped in my head, I just kept remembering, I will remember you. <laughs> I don't know why. Sarah McLaughlin, fuck you. But yeah, I think he was unaccustomed to fighting someone who was even on his level, much less possibly better. He was used to taking out tanks and starships and, you know, like, basically basic military. And now he's fighting someone who has a mobile suit that is not only comparable to his but might be better and i think that also like it was kind of like a mixture of anger you know that's why he's shaking he's angry but he's also a little scared he's like wait if if that suit is just really good and the pilot sucks what if there's a really good pilot who could fight no i mean i mean obviously amro does turn to a, a really good pilot but just his first encounter he's like i don't even know this pilot he might suck and he's still able to best me with like you know inferior skills with a better Gundam, you know, that, that, that kind of stuff that gets into your head, you know? Yeah, I, I think this is a case of Char needed to see this in person to believe it because, you know, he had a firsthand report from Slender, but they, they still were kind of, I mean, you know, it's, it's the same thing. Even the vice admiral's like, you lost two Zaku's like, how'd that happen? You know, like, and it's like, apparently it was this new mobile suit, but we're going to go, you know, basically he had to, you know, trust, but verify. And when he verified it, it was kind of like the verification came at the cost of basically he, he attacks the Gundam and delivers what he thinks is a killing blow, but because the armor's so strong, he's kind of like, what? Like, that, you know, he, he was basically like, that should have been game over, and it wasn't. Yeah, that was a direct hit, you know? yeah, yeah. You know, and, and then, you know, of course, he tries to have Slender positioned so he could sneak up behind the Gundam, and, you know, Ryu's keeping Char busy in the core fighter, but then, you know, basically Amuro is covered so he can aim, and then when he takes out Slender, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody realized. It's like he was expending all this beam cannon fire, but he had never hit anything before. 
And so I don't think yeah. anybody realized just how powerful the beam cannon was. So it was like, and, and once once he nails Slender, it's like basically he takes him out in one shot. And that's where everybody, you know, I think that's part of what the shaking comes from. Is like, it, it'd be the idea of like, oh, you know, like it, this guy was like, you know, launching nukes, but we didn't realize he was launching a nuke until it actually hit something. And then you saw the mushroom cloud and you're like, holy fuck, like that's what he had and it's like that was what the size of a rifle was this whole time like and it's got the power to do do this to like a mobile suit it's like that you know basically that to him is crazy and i mean that's kind of the moment where his toe is like officially stubbed because he's like i'm gonna pay you back for this gundam pilot like you've you've made me you know it's like you've made me look stupid and you've shaken me to my core basically you know like you you basically almost killed me if not for the fact that you ran out of beam cannon energy. And then of course I have to laugh because in the in the movie dub, it's like they're like he has got phaser neutrons. Those phaser neutrons nearly did me in, you know. It's like it's like I I ran out of phaser neutrons and I'm kind of like phaser neutrons. What the fuck are those? You know, they're just making shit up. That thing must be equipped with a phaser cannon energized by neutron charges. They've overtaken us in technological superiority. Man, oh man, unbelievable. We're going to need a new battle plan. Then I shall return. <sighs> well, there went the last of my phaser neutrons. Damn, I have to let him get away. But yeah, but still, even then, like, Amro is kind of shaken too, because, you know... Even after he expends the beam rifle, beam cannon, he's still clicking the button. He's like, I want to, you know, kill you, you know. So he, he's like, and like, we kind of glossed over this. But there's that one point where he just says that line. So this is what war is. Yeah, and it, I think that's almost a realization of, oh, like, you know, this guy Shar is trying to kill me. You know what I mean? Like, like, cause before I think yeah. those other two Zaku guys were just trying to run away and get the fuck out of there. And, and he was coming after them, but this was a case where somebody was actually, you know, meeting him with semi equal footing, you know, where they were actually, you know, even though he couldn't destroy the Gundam because of how well built it was, it, it was like, he, it, that certainly didn't stop him from trying, you know? Yeah. And, and like, I mean, he got close. I mean, at this point, even though, like, technically you could say a Zaku, even a red Zaku, it, it just seems faster. It seems like it has, you know, higher mobility. It was still no match for the Gundam, but Amro didn't know that. He was getting, in his eyes, beat up. You know, it was like he'd never taken fire like that. You know, he was like, holy shit, I'm not doing good, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. And, and you know, and so that, I mean, that's basically the, the end of the battle, you know, and the aftermath of it, you know, Ryu and Amuro end up reporting to the White Base Bridge. And then, you know, this is a portion where, you know, this may lead to some discussion because we've been talking about Bright before. It, it seems like there are various interpretations depending on if you watch the Japanese or the different dubs. But the, the, the basic version that I'm going to go with is that, you know, Bright tells Amuro he's not a kid anymore and that he needs to get better at using the Gundam in battle and not just rely on the advantages that being in an advanced suit of armor give him. And and what's interesting to me about that sequence is I, I think the actor in the television dub, the Canadian dub, I, I like the way he delivers it because he's stern, but 
it's kind of interesting. He doesn't deliver it in such a way that it's abrasive, I guess, if that makes the most sense. It, it's interesting because the Japanese version, you get... I, I feel like sometimes you get why Amuro gets all irate and grumpy because of the tone <laughs> yeah. in which the Japanese voice actor... It, it's almost like he's berating him. You know, like like it's a... You know, a, a lot of the interactions between Bright and Amuro starting here and moving forward are going to be these disciplinary encounters. It's like, why are you such a little kid? Stop acting like a little kid. I'm sending you to the brig, you know, without your supper, basically. Like that, you know, you're going to your room without supper, essentially, you know? And and I think what I liked about the the dub is that you, you get the idea he's trying to speak to him as an adult, even though he's not an adult. Like, if that makes any sense, you know, he's like, you're, you're now in charge of, of the well-keeping of the Gundam Amaro. Like, you, you maintain the suit from now on, you know, like, and, and just don't become too dependent on the fact that this suit is more advanced than the Xeon, because it might not always be the case, you know. But, but, you know, it's funny, because, like, in, you know, depending on what version you, you know, I, I think there is, you know, some of it, the way the dialogue goes is like, you got to use your brain, you know, like, like, and it's like, <laughs> it's like some ways, you know, you're kind of like, are you calling me stupid? You know, it's like that, that kind of notion. But, but I, I did enjoy that sequence. Yeah, because, because Amro, I guess it doesn't matter which version it is. He does look a little butthurt. He's like, what? What do you mean? But like, especially like in this dub. Noah doesn't sound angry. He's not like, you know, like, you fucked up. What are you doing? You stole the beat. He was just like, you know, Amuro, you have to understand that now you're an adult, you're going to be a soldier, and that's the path you chose. So to do that, you have to follow my orders, and you have to remember how to use the Gundam. And, you know, he's, he's just laying it on the line. He's treating him like an adult. He's not yelling at him. He's not belittling him. He's just saying, you have to, you know, fight smarter. Which, if you have a job and like somebody's over you, who's their boss? Who's your boss? Your boss will tell you stuff like that. It's like you need to you need to work smarter. You need to like do your job better if you're, you know, just coming into it. You know, he's he's kind of taking a mentor realm, where he's he, like I said, I agree with you, Derek. He's not belittling him. He's not saying you're stupid. He sees potential, but he also knows that he's a kid transitioning into being a soldier and an adult. Yeah, I, I just think that the television dub seemed to me to be the most constructive version of of that encounter and it's funny because typical to the to the la dub it's like Amuro's just a total little shit in that like it's kind of like bright's trying to you know it's like so what you need to do is do this and do that and i think you'll be the better for it and then of course Amuro's like yeah yeah whatever dude i saved everybody <laughs> fuck you yeah <laughs> you know like and it's it's funny how how like those scenes can be interpreted in, in such drastically different ways. So that's why I like bringing that up because it's almost like you're watching like, t I mean, to me, that's kind of the fun of like seeing different dubs and, and different interpretations because they are like, you know, they can be compared and they do play quite differently, you know? And, and uh, of course, to me, it's it's more to my amusement of the, the movie dub than anything else like it, it's fun for me to yuck it up at but what what about you and uh what about you mike or you justin like do you have any any last comments on sort of this last interaction in the episode between bright and amara well it's just the first of many 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 confrontations between them <laughs> but like i mean I, I get both sides of it like i get you know bright addressing him in kind of a stern but you know not insulting manner but i, I 
I don't know, like, I think maybe he should have, like, waited until after, like, they were underway, like, you know, maybe after, like, Amaro was, like, rested and had had time to, like, digest everything, like, mm. had time to digest, like, his first battle and everything, like, maybe then that would have been a good time to be like, you did good, kid, but, you know, you need to, like, you know, you got some stuff to work on, but I'll help you, like, that would have been, like, better, but then you have to think, like, Bright is also young himself, like, he's an instant, so he probably doesn't have a lot of experience, like, you know, telling someone, like, hey, you, you know, you did okay, but you need to improve a little bit, so... It's probably, you know, it's a bit of back and forth between both of them, really. Like, neither one is wrong. Yeah, they're both they're both having some of that on-the-job training, basically. Yeah. Bright's probably, like, fresh out of, like, the military mindset, basically. So he probably, you know, and this is a pretty desperate situation anyway, so he's probably, you know, this kid's got to, like, toughen up and toughen up fast. So. Well, when you were fighting, you relied too much on the machine. You'll have to use your brains a little more next time you fight. Huh? What? I... Now listen to me, Amaro. As long as you can work the Gundam, you're a pilot, not a kid anymore. Your duty now is to protect this ship. I... You're on a Federation ship, which means you work for us and obey my orders. Don't like it? Then go back to side seven. That's enough, Mr. Bright. I tried my best. I, well, I had to do it, didn't I? You don't have to be such a... Right. Feel free to hate me. I don't care. I'm putting you in charge of supervising Gundam's maintenance. You alone are responsible for the mobile suit now. Is that understood? In combat, the slightest hesitation can be fatal. You can't be indecisive when so many lives depend on you. Uh-huh. Right. Got it. In war, it's kill or be killed. When you hesitate to fire at an enemy, be sure he'll take advantage of it. A Zeon won't give you a second chance. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I won. It's a tough job that calls for a man. If you can't handle it, just tell me so right now. You may think you're the right man for the job, but you haven't convinced me. He risked his life for us! Huh? You don't have another pilot. I'm it, remember? If you don't like the way I fly, see if you can do better. Hold it. I've already made my decision. So, go back to the Gundam and help the maintenance crew. You pick whatever men you need. I'm putting you in command of Gundam. Amuro, don't ever make me regret my decision. If you do, I'll make sure you regret it even more. Yeah, and in his mind, he's like, we ain't got time for this. But what Justin said is true. You know, it's like, he is still a kid, so... I can see that point of view. It's like maybe you should have given him like, you know, at least a couple hours to rest up. But yeah, on the other hand, in Bright's, you know, mindset, he's like, we can be attacked in like the next hour. So, you know, toughen up. You know, I mean, it, it could go either way. And yeah, like like you said, Derek, you you see Bright as older just because of his confidence and his ability. But he is still a kid too. He's nineteen. He's he's not that much older. Yeah, I mean he's just trying to make do in a in a pretty bad situation, you know? And, and I mean, the, the, basically the episode ends with White Base on its way to Luna 2, which is basically this Federation base that is located on a mining asteroid. So that's basically where we end off this episode. And, you know, I, I do find it interesting that up until this point, you know, the movie matches the, the first two episodes kind of minute for minute. So there's not a whole lot of divergence in the you know, the movie version up until this point, which is just something I 
want to point out to the listeners. And then, of course, we get the, you know, the next episode, which is going to be titled Vote to Attack. And, of course, it ends with the usual tagline, Ooh, we'll survive. But that, I mean, that that's pretty much the, the second episode of Mobile Suit Gundam. Does anybody have any, any final thoughts before we close it out? I agree with you as far as Char's, like, fan aura, as far as this episode goes. Like, the first episode introduces Char, and we're like, oh, he's kind of cool. This really did cement him as, like, a force to be reckoned with. So that was a good introduction. We get Sailor, which was really cool. And of course, my, my my favorite, like, you know, comedic character, Captain Cassius, you know, just, oh, 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 oh. so, I mean, I'm sorry, that gave me laughs about the whole thing. Captain, ooh! <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was, it, was, it was a fun episode, and like, it just, it, 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 Gundam is from the 70s, and it has a little bit of cheese, just a little bit of cheese, because the time it was made. But it is still, it has those moments where it's so serious that you take it seriously. So it's not just a cheese fest. It's like those little cheesy moments are far outweighed by how real shit gets, you know, at certain points. So you forget about the cheese really quick. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff in this episode as there was in the first one. And I mean, that's pretty much all I have to say. All right. Well, I guess that wraps things up for our second episode of the original Mobile Suit Gundam. And you can continue to listen to episodes of Mobile Suit Gundam, among others, on the Fanholes podcast. We, of course, can be found on our fanholes.blogspot.com URL. We can be heard on Stitcher Radio. We're on iTunes. We are on other kinds of great social medias like Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr. And, of course, if you like Mobile Suit Mondays, you may like our other spinoff shows, such as Toku Thursdays, Sentai Saturdays, and Transformers Tuesdays. And, of course, there is always the proper Fan Holes podcast. So, until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, firing my phaser neutrons and signing off. Hey, it's Mike Thunderwing and... Super Napalm, yeah. Hey, this is Justin. Hey, this is Tony. We're also on Instagram. And I give the four pineapples. Oh, shit, wrong show. Woo! All right, guys, <laughs> take care. Peace. Peace. アムロ振り向かないで宇宙の果てにきらめく星はアムロお前が捨てたふるさとだ忘れはしない少年の日の誓いを青春をかけ守り抜けこの幸せをアムロ振り向くなアムロ
永遠に覚えてゆかい少年の日のことを温かいぬくもりの中で目覚めた朝を雨の振り向くな雨の男は涙を見せぬもの見せぬものただ明日へと明日へと I sound like a man. Uh, I'm a man. I don't know the the Skype call. I've got red bars for some reason. Uh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Like yeah, inter- mine. I've got five full bars of internet though, so oh, I don't. Okay. Interesting. I don't know. I oh. guess we'll see. How it goes. Yeah, as far as my video on Facebook, Derek, the, the car alarm going off was just good timing, good comedic timing. Yeah, it was funny. I liked it. Reminds me of those like old MTV commercials, you know, where they had the reindeer or whatever it was, like doing the doo 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 doo, you know. <laughs> I think I actually do remember those. Yeah. Goddamn world. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Cool. I mean, I'm I'm good to to start if you guys want to start. Like, I started a file and made sure it was recording. Does anybody yeah. have any any questions or anything that they're concerned about? What's nope. a Gundam? Well, Tony, when a when a gun cannon and a gun tank love each other very much, <laughs> let's use the super napalm. <laughs> don't don't make me don't make me bust out my fucking phaser neutrons on your ass because I will and they're dangerous. All right. Can you hear my dog? Do I have to say a, this a little bit? He's not loud, loud. I mean, he's just kind of in the background. Okay. 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 Now he's louder. <laughs> yeah. I may I may start that over again once he stops I don't know speaking with the other dogs in the community. They're they're Just podcasting the in their own way. They're talking about the yeah. dog that we might have thought of asphyxiated or or possibly made a they're they're debating that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, 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 He's like I remember the last like Gundam show, Derek. I still love that show. That was actually Poochie trying to get back to his own planet. That's how he died. (laughs) (laughs) Poochie was on side seven this whole time and no one ever knew. Awesome.